0: Hey everyone, a quick announcement before we begin. This time around, I tried something a little different. Rather than my usual recording method of either in-person or a closed session between my guests and I, I actually recorded over Discord while my guest, KazPhD, streamed the convo to his Twitch. There were a few technical hiccups, like despite my best efforts, I still borked my OBS settings and didn't properly record my own audio. But the live session itself was fantastic. So if you're listening to this in the audio-only podcast form, what you're hearing is the extracted audio from the live stream. Keep in mind that there may be a few occasions where we reference something that is happening in chat or on screen that you're not going to be able to see because, well, I hope I don't have to explain that to you. And if you're watching this in video form, what you're watching is the background gameplay that was streamed during the recording. Hopefully, next time I'll actually get my OBS set up properly, and you'll actually get to see my facial expressions and such. Until then, please enjoy the latest podcast episode.
1: Crosstalk,
0: the unintentional transfer of signals between communication channels, a casual conversation. world this is video game crosstalk the podcast of gamers talking tech science and whatever else comes to mind i'm your host anthony rossi and with me this episode episode 048 i am joined with kaz phd kaz thank you so much for accepting this invite and letting me in on your stream
1: hey of course thank you for having me it uh is one of those requests that kind of came out of nowhere but it all came together well i think
0: oh yeah have i mentioned well i know you knew that i had a podcast but i can't remember explicitly if i was like you should come on sometime and if i did it was probably like six months ago or yeah some craziness like
1: that. yeah when we when we first kind of met we had a lore panel or two on my side and then everybody got really busy with beyond light and uh mm-hmm. and then the world happened and and you know now we're now the we're world here.
0: continues to happen <laughs> You know, with with all due respect, good sir, the world continues to stop it. I actually ran into one of my previous guests a few weeks ago, and we were discussing about how uh, we had talked about it. It was just the beginning of the pandemic, and we were like, well, silly us, we all thought it was going to be over in just a handful of months. And here we are, full year plus later, (laughs) still going strong, Mm. but at least at least it's on the downswing for
1: real this time. Yeah. I think. I hope. Yeah. I mean, even the, there, there's a couple, you know, worldwide, there's a couple of places that are really dealing with it. But I mean, uh, I mean, your country is, is the testament of how you can go from one extreme to the other and by working together. Right. Like uh, I'm, yes. I'm kind of jealous. I look around and I see just like every, everybody I follow on social media, most of them are from the U S like, Oh, I got my second shot today. And it's like, Oh, I don't even know when I can get my first one. <laughs> really? Yeah, Canada. I, so I'm a Canadian and I'm living in France. Both countries are a little slow with it. Um, I'm not sure. Well, Canada is slow because at least in Ontario, one of the major provinces, the uh, mm-hmm. uh, the government is not very coordinated, which is the nicest way of saying it, I think. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, in France, I think it's just it's just supply chain stuff. It's just we we have a, a much older population, and it's going to take a while before you know they get through everything. Okay,
0: yeah. Here in the U.S., it's basically you are of one of two thoughts. The first thought I will openly mock, and that is the the anti-vax type hmm. crowd, and I will openly mock them. And the other Half of the crowd is, I cannot get in line soon enough to get this. <laughs> it is one of the two extremes. There are a few handfuls in there. I did have a few friends and coworkers who were wary about, like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to be the first in line for this vaccine, which is understandable because this was developed very quickly. But reading into the methods that were used, and knowing that these research methods have actually been in development and in use for I don't know how many years right now. Uh, And also, working in the corporate world for as long as I have, I assure you miracles can happen when suddenly the company has the motivation to say everyone off your current projects Unlimited overtime, we need this done now. Yeah. I, I don't know if you've had that experience or what your workplace is like, but if we were to devote all resources to a singular goal, it is amazing how fast things can work. And I'm willing to bet that a lot of the the compression of the schedule is overstaffing for resources and doing things in parallel
1: yeah and that's what that's what they said i've seen some interviews and, and things like that and you know uh yeah having things done in parallel kind of uh, instead of approaching it like in a assembly line you're approaching it things are happening uh concurrently so mm-hmm. i mean
0: i also go ahead sorry. no i was just
1: gonna say it, it it makes sense uh i mean look at it's being offered for free around the world like what what does that mm-hmm. if not through a, a a strong cooperative effort
0: right and i did also hear where um one issue where the companies who were doing the development and research ran into a lot of waste um and just stuff that just well it didn't work because they were doing so much work uh, in the project management world it's called at risk so it's like, mm. we're going to move forward with this, even though all the data isn't collected, but we're going to act like everything was satisfactory. And if it isn't satisfactory, all this work is going to be for nothing. But when you do work at risk, the com- again, the schedule compression is immense and that's why it's done. Mm. Which goes back to my previous comment of like, everyone's got unlimited overtime. <laughs> do it. We need this done immediately.
1: Yeah, I guess normally if you'd be doing something and you normally you would wait... You know, let's say you you, you have to, I don't know, even if you have to test something twice and you do the first Mm -hmm. test, it's fine. Normally you have to wait for the second one. If they already start packing the boxes and stuff and then the second one comes in and it's fine, well, you know, you get that acceptance. Also, we just saved months. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. So, no, I I, I understand the concern that people might have, but uh, like you said, it's not exactly new. I mean, I was... I don't remember how old I was when the, when the SARS flu, uh, you know, was kind of the thing, but this, I remember that. Yeah. But this, I was, remember
0: that for one very specific reason. I'm going to tell you, <laughs> <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to let you tell your story and then I'm going to tell mine of why I remember the, uh, the so, SARS flu. So, so, well.
1: so for me, all I really remember about it was, uh, I had an aunt who was in the hospital at the time and everything, everything turned out fine, but she was there and my cousins were there and they, you know, they kind of talked about how they had to like, you know, they, they had to wash their hands so many times that their hands were actually starting to kind of crack from the, uh, uh, you know, from doing that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so that's that's really all I remember about it. But it wasn't that long ago. And, you know, so when people are worried about it being new, this is built off of the same thing. Right. It, mm-hmm. it, it's the same. It's a similar family. Like coronavirus seems new and obviously scary just because of the impact it's had. But. I mean, it's also a cousin to the common cold, right? Right. Like, I mean, I'm cousin no, of yeah,
0: <laughs> cousin of it is yeah. not no
1: cousin of. I'm just saying, like, I'm no, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not medically trained, but yeah, from what I've seen, it's it's from the same family of it, so it's not, it's not like our our doctors and scientists had zero idea about this thing. It was just a different strain, you know, with different pathology, different. Uh, you know, different behaviors, but Mm -hmm. you you could start somewhere. Right.
0: So my fun, not so fun memory of, uh, SARS was I remember it distinctly because I definitely got it. Mm. I definitely got infected and it was, oh, it was bad. It was horrible. But what makes me um, remember it was I was still going out to a lot of concerts. Uh, and i'm quite the metalhead at the time mm-hmm. so i was going out to a lot of concerts and i mean band was coming to town i'm gonna go see this band and i remember it was at one of the local venues and i went to see five finger death punch and the entire time i think to myself this is a bad idea <laughs> with with this going around because it was a packed house and this isn't one of like your outdoor major event venues this is between their first and second albums so like they were still fairly small mm. before they became like these mega stars that they are now <laughs> and there were several hundred people everyone's I don't, for those who have been in uh hardcore and metal shows they got a bunch of sweaty dude bros who are <laughs> shirtless and throwing down in the pits as i was myself and i'm thinking this is a Bad idea, and sure enough, by the time Monday rolled around, I I was I was bedridden for a day or two.
1: Oh, remember concerts? Oh, I know.
0: I still have a lot of friends who perform, who do different bands, a few different hip hop MCs. They're still doing their thing, or at least being active in the community. Oh, concerts were so much fun. They're so much fun. I sincerely hope you're enjoying this episode of Video Game Crosstalk. If you would like to help support the show, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Even as little as $1 per month will help covering the costs of web hosting and other associated overhead of being a content creator, and you will gain access to other bonus content, such as video shorts and extra podcast audio. Once again, visit patreon.com slash vgxtpod and become a patron today. Let's get into this a little bit. So you, Kaz, one of the things that we talk about on this show is the guest interview portion where it's like, who are you? What do you do? And and it sounds kind of rough to say, what do you bring to the community? But (laughs) um, in this case, you are, as your Twitter profile reads, you are a quote, space engineer. So what is that?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, the simplest explanation is it's exactly what it sounds like. I am an engineer who focuses on the space in, uh, space industry. So, um, my, my educational background was, uh, you know, kind of aeronautical, uh, aviation engineering. But uh-huh. instead of focusing on planes or buildings, bridges, etc., I was focused on, uh, satellites, rockets, uh, robotic probes, yeah. things like that. Okay. Yeah. So that was my background. Nowadays, I work as a, what's called a space market analyst, which essentially means I'm studying the space industry, uh, the technology that's being developed, the services and products that are being made understanding who's buying, who's selling. Uh, to provide mm-hmm. that kind of intelligence to anybody who wants it.
0: Really? So, okay. So how long have you been working in the space industry?
1: Uh, so let me think. Uh, it's actually been five years now. Um, I mean, I did a lot of academic stuff, but like actually employed, I've been working for five okay. years. Yeah. Uh, okay. So. Yeah, go ahead.
0: All right. I was gonna say, so so what was your academic stuff?
1: Uh, so academically, I mean, I did an internship at uh, the Johnson Space Center. NASA's uh, Space Center for uh, Human Space Flight. Um, mm-hmm. And I've done a lot of like little um, academic projects. Like a lot of times universities will, uh, as either part of their education or sometimes they'll they'll have funding or sometimes they'll have like a professor who, actually wants to do stuff they will they will work on hey! Wow well, that was I didn't no I didn't mean to make a dig I meant they they wanted to do some uh like real hands on stuff not just like theoretical okay. work or whatever uh oh, they, nice, nice, they'll nice. they'll design satellites um so sometimes it's just an educational thing it's like hey this is how you this is what a satellite does and how it works and it would be like a school project um other times it's more like oh no, we have like grant money and we want to launch uh, a satellite that has, I don't know, yeast on board to see what that does in in orbit. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they'll often have people like me who we have a background in this or we know the, the business a little bit who can kind of consult and say, well, all right, you know, this is kind of the different options you can go with. And here's who, if you want to buy off the shelf, here's what you can do. And, oh, you have this particular need for your science experiment. Okay, you're going to want this kind of equipment. Um, so, so yeah, you,
0: are you like in, in that capacity, were you almost like a consultant for like, here's the job I want to do. Here's what you're going to need.
1: Kind of. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. for, for that again, it, for me, it was more, it was more academic. Like I wasn't, it was, uh, it was me kind of learning the ropes, both of the technology and the, you know, the industry think of me like a, like a real intern okay. in, a, in a company in that case, but mostly academic. Uh, now what I do is I'm a, I'm a full on consultant for the business of space. So what'll happen often is a company comes to me and they say, look, we have this cool, let's say they're like, we have this cool camera. Um, and we're, we're thinking we can use it to record some really interesting data from the earth. Uh, and they might come to me and say, you know, would anybody in the industry be interested in buying this? What uh, what kind of satellite would be you know uh, most suitable for it? Who's buying? How much is it for? Etc. Or they might come to me and say, "We got this. We got this cool camera. Uh, we want to we want to get this data and then sell that data uh, to somebody else. Is there a market for that?" And I and, and I can come to them with you know uh, in my experience and say, "Well, yeah, actually, like you know, the U.S. government ordered this much of that kind of data last year, and they're very open to buying it." or uh oh, you know, okay you know, nice I, yeah and we can and so it's it's consulting services it's providing uh market and business and technology intelligence yeah
0: sounds like a blast so so what are some things that people have are you i should back that up a little bit are you allowed to discuss some of the more fun and interesting things that people have requested to send into space
1: uh yeah i mean um yeah like Bay. yeah i mean you do get uh you do get like these weird requests to send all kinds of stuff up there often it's a it's like a marketing or advertisement stunt uh you know you hear about sometimes, so be it. yeah i mean sometimes space is still expensive right so a lot of times companies <laughs> with, you know and, but it's still high profile you put your name on a satellite you put your name on a rocket people are going to see it right if uh If SpaceX wanted to start putting like company logos on the side of their rockets like NASCAR, people would pay them a lot of money to do that because people are watching those launches. Um, But Mm -hmm. in terms of actually what's gone up there, um, it's relatively new because it's still quite expensive. But you get things like um, uh, starting from the. Oh, go ahead.
0: I apologize to people. Not sure if you can hear my dog barking. Uh, in the floor below me. But
1: <laughs> ah, so far, so good. I, don't, I can't hear it. Okay,
0: fair enough. Um, hey wait I have doggos. If you follow me on my social media, you know I've got doggos. <laughs> so <laughs>
1: uh, But yeah, most of the time things that go up are, are most of the time they're scientific or they have some kind of you know specific purpose. But we've heard of a bunch of crazy stuff that never really went anywhere. like uh, pretty much every two years, some company in France or Germany or Italy, will say or spain will say hey let's uh let's launch wine into space or let's use fancy cameras to take pictures of wine from space it 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 often comes up as this like you know funny news item but uh yeah you do get a lot of like strange requests from people to put things up into space but it's it's still an expensive business because it's essentially you know it's not like going out and buying, buying a honda civic and they're available at every lot and they're you know whatever price they are. It's, it's more Mm -hmm. like you're buying a custom Porsche every time.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I have faith within my lifetime that sending things up into space will become, you know, more and more routine. It's it'll happen, especially with the private companies getting into it. Yep. But just because it's common doesn't mean that it's still anywhere like feasible for something that you can do on a routine basis.
1: Well, that's that's it. I mean, still, one of the one of basement. the areas, yeah, one of the areas I cover is uh, space tourism. Um, so in the last mm-hmm. in the last decade, oh, we're talking about that.
0: Yeah, oh, we are talking about it. So go for it.
1: <laughs> in the last decade, there's been a lot of technology development toward trying to you know launch people to orbit or uh what's called sub orbit so it's like basically 100 kilos i think that's like 80 miles no 60 miles uh okay. 60 miles up anything below that is, is sub orbit so um companies like virgin galactic are the big ones uh, blue origin etc so there's a lot of interest in it um and the okay, technology no, no,
0: no, no, no. so the the guy that jumped from the Weather below the, the Red Bull guy yeah, that
1: jumped. Felix uh, Bogartner? Well, technically, it, I guess it depends on your definition. Uh, for me, I don't put it in the same category because while it was impressive, I believe it was, uh, I want to say like 30 or 40 kilometers up, which is still crazy. Okay. Um, still respect yeah. still yeah. crazy yeah yeah but uh but usually for this kind of business like 100 kilos or sorry 100 kilometers is the orbit that you're looking at and you're usually mm-hmm. getting pretty close to that um the thing with suborbit is that if you if you you know you got to be careful where you draw the line because uh there are companies for example that are trying to launch balloons that mm-hmm. you know that only go to like 30 or 40 kilometers up so where you count kind of depends on what you're talking about. But for this business, yeah, it's anywhere from where he jumped up to about 100 kilometers up. Uh, and uh, companies are looking to do that. And they've been they've been trying for a while because people are interested. Um, you know, a lot of times in in business, you have to convince people to buy. It's not, you know, If you think about like the iPhone, right, the iPhone is the exact opposite. You don't have to convince people to buy. You just have to put the product out there and it's available. But every other product, you have to convince people that it's something they want, something they need, and that they want yours more than they want anyone else's. Um, Mm -hmm. With space tourism, space tourism is the iPhone of the space industry because everybody wants it. And you tell them, well, it doesn't exist yet. It's dangerous. It's not there. And they say, okay, fine, but I'll I'll book a ticket now. When it's good to go, I want to do it. Uh, Everybody wants to do it. So the demand is quite high. And if you have high demand, you know, then you can make money if you get it done. So companies are really working overtime to try and make this happen. But we're not there yet. Um, You know, technology doesn't it technically exists. Like SpaceX has successfully launched uh people to and from the space station. But mm-hmm. but those were government programs, expensive, rare. But it's it's happening more and more. Um like SpaceX is well, planning to launch uh private citizens late uh, either later this year or early next.
0: That's actually earlier than I was expecting, because while SpaceX has been doing Uh, some successful launches they've had some failures Mm -hmm. you know and that and another reason i'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that another reason why everything's so expensive with throwing things up into space is when you have a failure on this this isn't a fender bender there are no fender benders (laughs) in space launches yeah. There are maybe uh, Fender obliterators, <laughs> but <laughs> that, there's not like, oh, we can buff that out. No, there's nothing to buff out if this goes wrong.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, space, it, the, one of the reasons it is so expensive is that it's over-designed, um, and it has mm-hmm. to be, right? You you can't send a mechanic up there to fix it. You can't, uh, in most cases anyway. Um, Hubble actually had some mechanics fixing it, funny enough, but, uh, <laughs> but well, yeah. There-
0: they have a space station there is a space station up there exactly somewhere in the
1: yeah but uh, but for most you're not gonna have
0: someone working (laughs) (laughs) mid-flight
1: exactly so it's over engineered over over designed because it needs to be and uh it's got to be it's got to be able to work mostly on its own so Mm -hmm. you know i we're we're getting there and you know sometimes you have to kind of just uh trial by fire or or try and you know fail until you don't essentially right like if you're able to maintain that kind of momentum to keep going with it then yeah that's that's one way of of getting yourself to space
0: that and that's first time i've heard that expression but it fits try until you
1: yeah fail and fail until you don't
0: right until until you don't yes yeah that's pretty much the way that i'm Guessing, that's the way a lot of development goes. Hey, here's something we want to try. Here's the first prototype. Oh, look, it failed like everyone knew it was going to. But, uh, and speaking of SpaceX and a couple of its failures, Elon Musk, as crazy as he is, did make a good point where, as long as you're able to recover a lot of the data of what went wrong, as long as you can have recoverable data and use that to make the appropriate corrections that is a success yeah in in its own way as far as development is concerned yeah because if everything works every single time it's like all right well this it works we don't see anything going wrong but it's when things go wrong that's when you see the weaknesses that's where you see your vulnerabilities that's where you work work out the kinks and iron things out to make sure that it doesn't happen again again and we all know what happens i mean we're gamers so what happens when you release a game <laughs> unto the wild yeah there exactly. is no better book finding than releasing it into the wild
1: <laughs> yeah exactly i mean uh it it's all about knowing that these that these issues are going to happen you plan for them you prepare for them but when they do happen yeah you need to be in the best position to learn from them capture that data, mm-hmm. uh, you know, report it, communicate it and, and iterate on it, right? Design through iteration as well, where you, you make small improvements and you, you check how they, uh, mm-hmm. how they balance each other.
0: Well, and it's important to make small dis- I mean, depending on the process, depending on the resources you have, blah, 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 blah. It makes sense <laughs> to do small incremental changes. Yeah. Rather than multiple changes at the same time. Because when you get into complex systems, you change one thing, change six things, change 12 things. Well, this, the whole system acted differently. Well, how did it act differently? Which change affected that? To what degree did each change affect the final outcome? So, yeah, it did definitely go into small incremental changes. And then going back to there are no fender benders in space launches. <laughs> That's expensive yes but we need to make sure we've got control of this situation we control of what's going on so yeah i can only imagine how, uh, how long it will take but apparently SpaceX is going for later this year is what you said
1: yeah there there's a, a private company that wants to mm-hmm. launch their own they want to launch their own astronauts uh and they're going to they're planning on doing that later this year the idea is that and there's basically two, there's two, well, okay. I guess there's three types of customers involved here. There's company or there's agencies like NASA who say, you know what? We don't want to launch our own stuff anymore. We want the, we want like private companies to do it because they have, I don't know, better prices or things are, are faster, etc. <laughs> um, so that's what SpaceX has already done. They've launched uh, NASA uh, astronauts, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, and me thinks... Private companies are a bit more agile than government entities.
1: Usually, yeah. Uh, <laughs> throw it
0: out there. <laughs> Just throw it out there.
1: Yeah. So you have that, and then you have uh, you have like what most people think of, where it's like the re- like the really uh, uh, consumers, so the average everyday person, and then you have something in the middle where it's like scientists uh, or or you know big pharmaceutical companies, etc. They want to get involved. They're not, you know, they're not government agencies, but they're not the private citizen either. Um, so that's what's going up first. Uh, SpaceX is going to launch sure. them uh, to get them to, you know, try out their mission and make sure everything works, etc. And if all goes well, then, yeah, they are planning, I think they are planning kind of a charity-funded uh, mission or something in uh, 2022, maybe 2023. Basically, they, yeah. they have a mix of like truly, uh, you know, commercial customers, like the average everyday person, as well as a couple, like one or two, uh, actual astronauts who have retired from NASA, but are, you know, getting involved with this mission.
0: Oh, and they'd be foolish not to do a charity event for one of these launches because I mean, all eyes are on them every time that they do something. It's a big profile event every single time. And as you said, it's like, you don't need to do publicity yeah. <laughs> for for this type of thing. So the the publicity is already built in and you're going to have the eyes of many people let alone let's be honest many people with deep pockets that want to get involved and have their name associated with the event.
1: Yeah, space is uh space is just one of those things that it's you can put it in the headline and it will be enough, you know. Like yeah. you try to you try to generate interest around other subjects like gaming like uh i don't know certain certain other kinds of events and and you really have to work to kind of grab the media's attention but you talk about space and people are immediately interested uh, it just has this kind of appeal that uh um you know people can latch onto
0: So, we're going to move on to the next segment. We're going to talk about some gaming, some gaming news. See what's going on. So, right now, well, obviously, so in the video version, if I am able to do a video upload of this, you're going to see me looking down all the time cuz I got my camera and I'm looking down. I'm looking <laughs> down at the chat on the Twitch. And you obviously are playing Destiny 2 right now a game which both of us are lore nerds (laughs) of (laughs) and for those who follow my youtube channel uh yeah i've got uh, several lore videos going so we're both big big fans of this and we recently just had a new seasonal content drop and all right so i need to take a step back for a moment and kind of explain this is the first podcast i've done in like six months or so it's been a long time and we have just because life has gotten hectic, and we are now very deep. What is this, season 14?
1: Yeah, season as 14.
0: As far as Destiny is concerned. And they keep revamping how they do the seasons. Every few seasons or so, they kind of revamp what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Oh, Doggo arrived. <laughs> hey, puppy. Hold on, i going to get a video shot. And sorry for those who are watching the stream, you're not going to be able to see this. Where's, where'd she go? There she is. Yeah, I am actually in like one of our spare offices in my house, because where I normally do some of my recording and such, the way that our wireless network is set up, I get horrible reception, even though I got a network extender, but then my computer wants to kind of jump between the extender connection and the standard connection, and I keep losing... Uh, I gotta get a network mesh. Yes, puppy. I see you. Hello.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say you say you're in the office, but it's more like you're in the 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 dog's bedroom, right? The way they're acting uh, right now. Like.
0: Yeah. Right. Well. All right. Now the other one has figured out where I am, so uh. we got both of them up here now. <laughs> oh, the poppers. Oh, the poppers. Um. So.
1: Yeah, you're we're talk, in the You're talking about... of a new
0: season. They made mm-hmm. more changes. What are your thoughts on the changes that they've made for this season?
1: So uh okay so I think I think for the most part it kind of depends on when with destiny it always depends on w- what type of player you are and when was the last time you played. So yeah. right what happens Yeah and and even even just besides the the lore if you talk about like mechanics and stuff the uh what they've been doing the last like 9 months is they've been really iterating this this system of uh they have a new way that they're doing seasons. They have like certain challenges and triumphs and achievements that you can go through. And, uh, they, I think right now we've, we've kind of reached a really good version of that. Like they two seasons ago, they introduced a few things and it was okay. Kind of slow and confusing last season. There was a lot of stuff introduced all at once. And, And I know it confused a lot of people for a while, but they got the hang of it. And this season goes, okay, so you understood how those things work. Now we've kind of got the, I don't know if it's perfected per se, but I feel like this season in terms of how it works is much more understandable because we've had practice with the previous ones. And and the developer themselves have had the chance to kind of iterate them. What works, what doesn't, uh, what do people like, what do they don't, etc. So yeah, I guess mechanically it's been good. Uh, I could definitely talk mm-hmm. about the story if if we want to dive into there, but I wasn't sure where you wanted to start.
0: So, so it's a toss up, right? Um, I don't want to make this mm-hmm. is not a Destiny podcast, mm-hmm. but
1: well, you let me, know. yeah. So <laughs> Destiny. So for those out there, if you've if you've never played or haven't played for a while, right? Destiny is a it's a story that always has amazing lore, but the 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 story in the game has always been lacking, right? You have these. You have a game that sets itself up as uh, you have a gun and magic powers. Go fight bad guys, and that's really about as far as it goes until we get like a big expansion. But then the lore goes. The lore goes very deep and very wide. Almost every genre is represented. Every every character you run into has a literal book about them. Alien races have you know culture and history. Uh, so what the short version is. One thing I'm really happy about is that Destiny has been narrowing that gap between story and lore so that the players who play the game and don't want to read everything, they can get into it uh, a lot more. There's a higher accessibility to it, uh, which is really nice to see.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. And that is something that... Excuse me. was a big change between destiny 1 and destiny 2 where everything was in the grimoire everything almost everything yeah. was kind of like off the game outside the game and now and i've i'll keep saying this because it's such a better representation of how we have the lore tabs within the different items Something that i'm, I'm finding interesting is that there are the the ritual weapons now mm-hmm. so rather than having a, a ritual weapon Or a pinnacle weapon that you can get from the different activities. It's that one pinnacle weapon that you can obtain either through Crucible, Gambit, or Strikes. And then you can earn the respective uh, ornaments or skins Mm -hmm. for other people who play other games. When you get these new ritual weapons now, there is very, I guess, timely lore. Because the lore that is discussed in the Ritual Weapons lore tab is stuff that's happening, like, right now in the (laughs) game. It's not like a background story. It's like, here's a little side story of what's going on right now. Like, I have kind of an outline written for Salvager Salvo, the Mm -hmm. grenade launcher from last season. Because this is something that I love about Destiny. Or proper storytelling, I should say. With proper storytelling, which... Uh, Bungie's really getting into now. They'll throw in this one little seemingly throwaway line. There's just like a one sentence, a short sentence, either like at the end of a story, in the middle of a story, somewhere. This one seemingly insignificant line where it you, excuse me, where if you catch it, wow, the implications are massive. (laughs) And the one that I'm talking about right now is for or Salvo. Towards the end Ikora is kind of uh, looking the gun over or looking, not the gun, the
1: Yeah, it's a device. Like oh, a the, tool the widget.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the widget we'll call it, that uh, blocks the Guardian's light. And there's that one line where she says that she hopes that the lightless never get a hold of this.
1: Mm. Interesting. There's
0: that one line. And there's a lot of implications there, because in previous web lore uh, entries that are on Bungie.net, there's some tension between the, the Normals, the Normies, the Lightless, and the Guardians, about how if the Guardians really were such a saving grace for humanity, uh, then they, they would have done something by now. Why are we still hiding behind the walls? Why are we still in this one singular city? Why haven't we moved out? They just go out and kill a bunch of stuff and come back to the city. We make no progress.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So there's a lot of tension between the rest of humanity and the Guardians. And Ikaro Ray sees this, the, the widget, and thinks, oh no. <laughs> we can be defeated now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We are now more vulnerable than what we were prior to. So it's little lines like that that are just like, Ooh, if you caught it, there's a lot going on there for a single, like, a single line will hold so much weight.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Bungie, they're really, really good at doing that. They, they excel at, um, I mean, even, even with Destiny 1, yeah, the, the presentation was terrible in terms of the, the the lore was very removed from the average player. Oh, it was
0: brutal. Oh, yeah. it was so brutal. Yeah.
1: But yeah, they are, I mean, what often happens is uh, somebody will go back and they'll reference something. They'll look at, like you said, like a weapon like that or, or something, and they'll they'll realize that, that's, yeah, like you said, that throwaway line, uh, mm-hmm. that story that didn't seem to be relevant at all, uh, and, you know, sometimes Bungie has it planned out. They, they totally mean to do exactly that. Other times, they, they they look back at what they have done and go, hmm, we can use that. A good example was before one of the ma- major expansions. Um, I can't remember what item it was, but an exotic item lore tab had like a little poem slash riddle on it. And it was like, two of these things are true and one of them is a lie. And it turns out that that was major... Uh, spoilers for the, the the following expansion that came out, um, because if you once you realized who the 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 poetry was referring to, you you went, oh, mm. that's exactly what happened.
0: Right. Oh, that was one of that was one of the Osiris weapons.
1: Oh, that's right. One of the prophecy weapons. That was yeah, one
0: yeah. of these. Yeah. So it was like you will soon oh, something about a hidden blade, something about um the sleeping dreamer mm-hmm. and something else that I believe referred to Aldrin or at least that's what we thought it was going to refer to yeah it was
1: something like the 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 brother the lost brother like will, like the brother will lose his way and and the uh the one that I always remember is something like the uh the light will go out uh in the prison or something like that like, oh oh yeah, yeah, yeah it was very oh, yeah.
0: all, all, all of Osiris's prophecies where yeah. like I can't give you everything but I can give you just enough.
1: Yeah. So um yeah, you're right. The storytelling there is is wonderful. And I think I've been I've been advocating for the in-game story to to get better and we're getting to the point where that does happen where the story is told so clearly uh on a like day-to-day week-to-week that you know content creators like you know like us we're having we have to change how we do things a little because in the past I was thinking about this earlier today, I was working on a video in the past, making a video that basically said, Hey, this is what happened. That would be a completely valuable and needed video because people missed it because it's like, well, on screen, it was just, you know, some action, but in the lore, you got conversations, you got, you know, information and development that you didn't get in the game. But now we're getting to a point where those details are becoming more clear to the average player. So you, you have, which is great for the lore people, because it means that you have more room to, to offer your own perspective or to analyze. You don't have to catch players Mm -hmm. up on the story. You can kind of recap the story and then go, okay, but this is why it's interesting. Or, you know, this is a, this is what we should look out for, that sort of thing.
0: Right. and it's so you've got a pretty successful discord going also you've got um a great community with it I'm glad to be a part of it by the way <laughs> do you find with some newer players uh is it overwhelming do they do they get oh, yeah. lost too quickly i mean it's definitely overwhelming it's got to be overwhelming it's... we've got yeah. seven years eight years yeah. of uh, of content to catch up on
1: it definitely it definitely is um because even even though the game is improving on those aspects i mentioned it would have to be you know it, even if it was improving it like you said seven years of content uh and on top of that seven years of content plus a game that really excels at deep universe building Right. Mm. I mean, there are literally books that have been sold about the lore, about stories that occur technically thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, millions of years before the main character exists. And you, you, yeah. you may think, well, okay, who cares about that? But it actually provides motivation toward one of our greatest enemies, which can allow us to, you know, not only appreciate them, but to, uh, To predict them to try and figure out what's their motivation right so for a new player coming in it's gotten it's gotten better the the game has a, a better kind of tutorial experience and uh it sets the tone fairly well but it still doesn't exactly tell you anything about the context it's more like here's here's the universe you live in here are the major people to consider and then you might have a question of well, why are they here? What are they doing? Uh, what happened mm-hmm. here? Where I heard this was here? Where did that go? Um, and, and that is not that is not very well done so far in the game.
0: Yeah, in game, and that's I feel is a double edged sword mm-hmm. for Destiny and its community, where you have a massive lore and storytelling community. And the way that the lore is deciphered and assembled and compiled and distilled is through the the community, the lore community. Which makes it a lot of fun. It makes it a lot of fun to be able to work with other people, bounce ideas off each other, see what conclusions other people brought to you, bring your own style or your own interpretation to everything. It's a lot of fun. But at the same time, this Mm -hmm. is actually why i started with some older lore and i want to get back into it as soon as i'm able to you know breathe again i started with the books of sorrow for my lore content on my channel because that came out towards the end the second half of destiny one and it outlines everything the origin of the hive and the origin of the taken and it is the I would say it contains the oldest stories in the Destiny universe. No, it doesn't. It's the one that... Is it Constellations? Which one describes the Gardener and the Winnower?
1: Oh, you're right. You're right. The uh, Book of Unveiling.
0: Unveiling. There it is. The beginning
1: of the universe, apparently.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Literally. Yeah. You you can't get back anymore. (laughs) You can't go farther back in time than the time when time didn't exist. (laughs) Wow. I got that out in one shot. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) so it's it's a lot of fun being able to piece everything together, but it's also a the double-edged sword of it where y- if you're new to it, where do you
1: start? Yeah. Like uh, do you
0: have any suggestions if pe- like if oh, yeah. um people come to you like what are your suggestions for like all right, this world is massive. <laughs> I understand. You're overwhelmed. That's normal. <laughs> Here's yeah. where you can start.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um I mean Little self plug here, but I I made I made a couple of videos in response to that. I, uh, I I felt I felt for the new player community who just wasn't able to understand where things were coming from and and everything. So I made I made a Destiny in one minute video and I made a Destiny in six minute video. Um, so the, Did you record the audio and then speed it up? Uh, <laughs> because that's a lot to get through. I, uh, yeah, I... So what I did was I wrote it a couple of times, and writing it a couple of times helped me learn how to, uh, kind of cut down on certain things and, and kind of mm-hmm. use, uh, use language that allowed me to say two things at once without being too confusing. And my thinking was, uh... I think it was if they want, they can go back. They can rewatch it. But those those videos helped. Um, there's some other resources in the community that are very good. Um, there is a previously on Destiny website uh, that recaps what has happened every season, every expansion with relative links and stuff like that. Fantastic piece of work done by somebody in the community. Um, nice. The, uh, the, the main places to check into are Destinypedia or the Ishtar Collective. Destinypedia uh, has a lot of, like Wikipedia, it has a lot of write-up about uh, different elements in the game, and you can literally just go to their page about story and kind of just follow along. Uh, but like Wikipedia, you also have to kind of check the source material on your own, because things change and etc. cetera. <clears throat> um, Ishtar Collective has a page called Timeline, where they... Uh, uh, they present the lore and a write up about the lore in, you know, kind of in game in chronological order, Mm -hmm. Uh, but, uh,
0: I have seen that it's, it's impressive. Yeah. There's a lot in there. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the thing with, the thing with the lore with destiny is that there's so much of it and in a way, I mean, even if you think about all the amazing content creators out there and all the amazing content that they've made, it can be, it's so overwhelming right? There are, the lore community is both big and small and it's kind of weird to think about that way because if you compare it with the other metrics like, I don't know, it's a looter shooter. So if you compare it with people who make videos on weapons and, you know, all this kind of stuff, the community who watches those are probably you know, uh, the largest portion in the game. The community that watches lore content is generally much smaller. But at the same (laughs) time, If you want to try and catch up on all the content that they're making, uh, you you will become overwhelmed. So what I always tell people is I always give them a basis, like just a basic who we are, what we're doing, a little bit of background on the different enemy types and a short background on where we are in the story right now. And thankfully, Destiny is doing that latter part every season, every time you log back on, uh, first time you log back on within a new season, it goes, Hey, this is the story this is the conflict right now it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't tell you previously on destiny which is why that website was developed um, but it does tell you where we are now so I usually those three elements basics uh, you know kind of the basics of enemy types in the world where we are now and then if people want to get into more I see the lore content community as more like librarians than some people, some people get a little defensive. They, they think that lore content people are, are, you know, trying to gatekeep or say we're experts or lore masters or whatever. I see it's more as librarians where you can, the, the story of destiny, it's printed in books, literally and figuratively. And those books and those pages are shuffled, rearranged, uh, written in different perspectives. And it can be very confusing, but very fun to kind of go down the, uh, um, you know, go down the rabbit hole of, of conspiracy and lore and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the librarians, the lore community who's interested in following this, okay, we may know a little bit because we we have been following it, but our biggest resource is to be able to share it and say, oh, you want to know more about this enemy type? Here, check this out. Check this out. Mm-hmm. Oh, you missed that content? No problem. Here you go. And that's that's really where I think uh a lot of us come from we we provide analysis we provide you know directions sure for anybody who's never going to read the lore uh and who there are people who literally are interested in the story but even when they play the game they fast forward through it they skip cutscenes because they enjoy the game and they want to play it and that's Mm -hmm. fine but they're still interested in the lore they'll come to lore videos and, and check them out um and i think for them yeah, the biggest uh, the biggest asset that we provide is kind of another resource that they can use to uh, to find their way okay.
0: so I'm gonna move away from destiny for just a little bit oh yeah go, and go I sent an article it. a little while ago uh, before the show mm-hmm. and I'd love to love to chat about that a little bit and this is you know gaming in the news and the tribe Beck Film Festival has been known to you know, put a spotlight on games every once in a while. It, gaming has been a part of their, uh, their festival for a few years now. But this year is the inaugural year that they're actually going to formally recognize a list of eight different video games. And this is something that I've been trying to push to whoever will listen to me. And usually it's kind of like the whole preaching to the choir type of situation but I've been able to earn a few converts every once in a while if I am able to get deep enough into a discussion of a story and what it takes to actually produce a game but and as I said I'm going to assume that you agree that games are art. <laughs> they are their own art form.
1: Definitely. What do you say to that? Yeah, definitely. I mean even if you try to take even if you try to take what you might think is the least artistic form of game, there is an art behind it. There, there is Mm -hmm. a, you know, there are, I mean, you're getting into questions of what is art, but there's so much, uh, design elements. There's so, so many, um, you know, there's, there's design, there's interaction with the community. There is the, the voice of the author, right? What exactly your, uh, um, you're, you're trying to convey or get across uh, it's one of those things where people don't recognize it as art either because of a lack of experience or because it is new right I mean it's there, there was a time where animation was not considered eligible for academy awards mm-hmm. and then it was because people recognize the, the hard work and the artistry behind it right um but uh i think video games are the same and it's very difficult to hold on to that argument when you see how far into even traditional art forms video games go i mean if you're sitting here trying to say that video games are not art and then you look at the concept art you look at the environmental art you listen to the music beautiful you look mm-hmm. at the i mean look at games like the last of us and storytelling like that there are people was it playstation was advertising uh when the last of us came out one of their ads was like a couple sitting down to movie night and one of the partners was like oh i love this you know like the story is so gripping and i got the popcorn and the other person was like they don't know it's a video game and he's got his like hands under the table
0: it was um was it one of the Uncharted?
1: Oh, might be Uncharted. It might have been yeah. one of the
0: Uncharted. I remember that video. It's hysterical.
1: Yeah. Um. Um. So, I mean, yeah. you know, like it's... uh. It's very hard to hold on to that argument, I think, that they're not mm-hmm. art at this point.
0: So, I was... <laughs> the one time I was able to give a panel talk at a local convention, I did how uh, gaming and geek culture is inspiring a new generation of artists. And... One of the things that I brought up was at another uh, tournament that I was. Um... So for the podcast, I get involved in the local scene and I'm able to get like press pass and media passes to some events. And I get to interview vendors and media guests, stuff like that. So at one of these e uh, esports tournaments, I was able to attend a panel talk of development of uh the games industry in the local area, and I was able to ask the question. Huge lead up for this one question, right? Sorry about that. (laughs) Uh, How do they see games as a driving force for the arts? And one of the guys on the panel just kind of like perked up and said, oh, was not expecting that, because apparently he's got a fine arts background and he's now like one of the lead um, managers at one of our local studios. And everyone kind of got excited, and this weird grin on their face. It's like this is, um, th- this is an interesting question. You know, well, well, let's talk about that a little bit. And another one of the studio heads openly said, "Here's something you need to under- people need to understand. I hire, I employ more artists than developers. I, I employ more artists than engineers and people who code." and i'm like yeah it's uh because if you think if you think about it just a little bit you've got character design weapon design environment design level design all of these things need to have different aesthetics i was able to at a star trek convention which i never thought i'd ever say that sentence but i was able to talk to one of the lead illustrators and designers about the um how you come up with a different aesthetic for the different races within the Star Trek universe. And everyone's got their own version of the the phaser. Everyone's got their own version of the communicator. Everyone's got their own version of their colonial transport or little fighter ships. And it's all, um, it, it's all art. And it, it was really, it was surprising to me. I was not expecting for them to hire more artists than engineers, but there it is, like right from a studio heads mouth. So uh what game would you say like really has impressed you recently as far as as far as its art direction besides Destiny?
1: That's a good question. I mean I'm a little I'm a little uh let me think I'm a little isolated a little bit from lots of other games. I, I play it oh no! <laughs> no it's okay I play a lot of Destiny I, I always come back to it I I, I dive right in um, mm-hmm. games I've played recently uh, so the two games I've played most recently other than Destiny were uh, Outriders and Control uh, very different types of games okay. and, yeah those uh, are very
0: different uh, mm-hmm. yeah
1: and both, both did a really good job I think with setting the tone of their universe through through the art design. Um, So in Mm -hmm. in Outriders, I mean, the world is is very alien. Yeah, it's brutal. Mm -hmm. Everything, you know, for example, Destiny's art design, most of the time, everything looks barren. Everything looks empty because it's a, you know, it's a post-apocalyptic kind of world, but it's Mm -hmm. long after that. Outriders, everything is currently dangerous. Everything is, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, okay, right? And then in Control, Control is a, is a, kind of uh, I always forget the acronym but it's it's think of it like an extension of the x-files it's it's seeking out it's a agency that seeks out paranormal activity and, and items and and creepy things like this and what they've done is they take a normal kind of office environment and sometimes they literally turn it upside down they've um yeah they uh they add they they add elements that that are just a little bit jarring or you know just a little bit subtle but mm-hmm. you still catch it or it's it's dramatically different you go into what you think is a normal office and it's now this grotesque uh sort of paranormal world nice uh, yeah it's called uh, SC- scp is kind of the acronym if um outside of gaming there's actually a a website where people contribute it's kind of like a wikipedia of paranormal objects uh, but people kind of add to it and they add mystery and intrigue. And in the game control, every moment makes it very clear uh, that you are, you are in kind of an alternate reality. You are in a reality that can be affected by this paranormal. So th- those two games are really were really well done because even without listening to the story or reading the lore uh, or even even engaging with the actual gameplay, you got the idea right away. Uh, what kind of world you were living in, and the the quality of it was was top notch.
0: All right, so we're going to move into the final uh, segment. There's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> the final segment of this show. And we're gonna to get to questions. And I'm following along in chat, and I see that there have been a few questions added. Are you able to access these questions?
1: Yeah, actually, we both are. But I'll. Uh, let's, oh. Let's see here. I'll. Oops. Put no, no, no. <laughs> I. Uh, if you check that link right there, I'll put it up. Okay. I'm gonna open up as well. Uh, some of them haven't, haven't. Yeah. Okay, we're good. So. Uh, okay. So look- I'm looking at them a few of them the first yeah the first one's an older question it's actually i can delete that some of them are are destiny focused, so it's up to you if you if we want to focus on them i think the third one is pretty you know i'm
0: on i'm essentially working with a destiny streamer content creator right now so we'll we'll go through it all right so you said the first one we can pretty much skip so the second one is do you think Miss Rex and his fallen actually pose a threat to us, or is Lakshmi too jumping the gun a bit?
1: <laughs> yeah. So for context, so got... anybody who's out there, then that's that's the premise of the new season. The new season is uh, uh, an an alien race that's typically our enemy. We actually have invited a few of them under our protection in exchange for them to help us deal with the new threat. Enemy of my enemy, sort of deal. And the question mm-hmm. is. Can we really trust them, uh, or are we right to be uh, anxious about them? Because that seems to be the direction that this season is is taking us.
0: So my thought, yes, we can trust Misrax. Mm-hmm. He's already proven himself. We have helped him on the Zero Hour mission. He's worked with Guardians before. He's trying to bring the Elixir, uh not to sound like a missionary, he's bringing the Elixni to the Light. But within the Destiny universe, he's, (laughs) yeah, he's the Kel of the House of Light and he's helping, I mean, that was a whole part, big part of what's going on on Europa right now with evacuating the remaining Eliksni or the Fallen off of the planet and bring them to Earth, bring them and now basically bring them to that little section of the Lost City. Or, excuse me, of the last city.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's... So something that, that... Because the gap between story and lore in Destiny is generally wide... You have this this problem within the community sometimes... Where the people who've been reading the lore... Are anticipating some of these developments... But the people who don't read the lore... It seems to come out of nowhere. And I think, especially... Fair if statement. Yeah, mm-hmm. if, if they're new players... Or if they're not really so much into the lore then this this has happened uh and, and now they're it's the first time that we're seeing this alien race presented to us in any way other than being a warrior or a monster or, or something uh, every time we see them otherwise except for three or f- three examples in the game uh every other time they're attacking us so it is new right. uh i i agree with you um i i like the way this season is being set up it it you know, it's always interesting when a conflict is both internal and external. You, you worry about the alien invasion, but you also worry about civil war uh, or, or at least feelings that could lead to something like that. Those kinds of struggles. Um, uh-huh. So my, my short answer is I do think that we can trust them. Uh, the one character, Misrax, we've worked with him before, uh, and he's shown that he, he thinks a lot differently than the, uh, the typical alien races that we have. Yes, Um, And I think, you know, with all the threats that we know or that we presume are coming, we can use all the help we can get.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And the second half of this is Lakshmi 2. Is Lakshmi 2 jumping the gun a bit? I almost see this when I saw her appear on screen during the cinematic. I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, we're finally going to hear from Lakshmi again. So I think she's just kind of being cautious And it's an excuse to bring another member of the vanguard, uh, yeah. Bring them into the story as well. We haven't heard from any of the heads of the factions in a long time, so yeah, and it it makes sure bring me back.
1: Yeah, it makes me happy because that was one of the things I was worried about when the season was about to start. We we got the premise of it from the trailer, and I said, "Look, you want us to protect the city, and you want us to be worried about the." opinions of the people in the city who may be afraid of these new allies all right you have to connect us to those at like connect us to the people of the city and that's a problem with a game like destiny is it sets itself up as a as an mmorpg but rather than the typical mmorpg where you live in the village you can interact with the people you could see the people you're trying to save the city is always far away it's literally in the skybox so okay. I'm really glad to see that, that they are kind of bringing that front and center. And I agree. It's good to hear the, the character come back. And I hope that they use that opportunity to, to again, draw us into the story more. Mm.
0: All uh, right, one, so um, one of the other que-
1: I was gonna say, if you have time for more questions, one of them didn't uh, jump in there, but I'll, I'll re- recite it for you. Um, okay. The question was uh, it was about ghosts. In Destiny and, oh. and about the Fallen, uh, where was it? It was. Uh, did how did the Fallen have the light without ghosts? Did they have any of the same powers? So I don't know if you've heard about any of this. Uh, this this. I of... have not. So uh, uh, we know
0: that they had their own Golden Age and what they experienced was the Whirlwind, and they've been chasing the Machine God, the Traveler, ever since. So no.
1: yeah, so. The, the Traveler, the Machine God, was over their head, and uh, um, yeah, it was over... Actually,
0: the, okay, oh. Go. I just had a thought, go ahead.
1: <laughs> yeah, they, they, the Traveler, which gave us power, was over their civilization for a while, and seemingly didn't give them any... Uh, it did not seem to give them any abilities, but something we're kind of learning this season is that maybe they did have some... Uh, They did seem to have some kind of ability, some kind of power, but... uh... Well,
0: I'm wondering... Sorry to cut you off. Um, I'm wondering if they just had a golden age, but they didn't have, like, guardians of light. Much like humanity had our golden age, but we didn't have guardians until the darkness arrived, and in, quote, the Traveler's Last Breath, it created the ghosts. Mm Mm-hmm so we had a golden age just like the elixni did but the guardians the warriors that we play as they were not created until the traveler did its last ditch effort
1: yeah as far as we know any amount of of power that they did receive was it was not significantly enough or concentrated enough in an individual seemingly to to say that they had like warriors of the light or anything like that, It's always been suggested that they learned some kind of wisdom, they gained some kind of ability. Their their race has always been very technologically strong, and everyone assumed that was why. Uh, currently, the uh, the splicer gauntlet, the seasonal item, kind of so to speak, it has some lore that suggests that these uh, that these elixni, these characters. They can't quite use the light like we can. They can't manifest terrible forces and 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 defensive shielding and things like that. Mm-hmm. But what they can do is they can kind of bend the light. Uh, they they can kind of shift uh, reality in a little way or or shift the try. energy. So. That's still new and ongoing, um, but I think I need to read that. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. but It's I definitely it's, got it. It's okay. very, it's very new, and uh, it's only one entry, so it doesn't have uh, as much depth as it could. But um, yeah, it's it's an interesting okay. thing. And, and even if they didn't, the question always comes up: Why? Why did they not have it, and why do we? And the answer is, we don't know. That's part of the mystery right. of the game, right?
0: Yeah. and we'll run through this one real quick. Well, we are always hearing about a new game that will be the game killer. Outrider is supposed to be the Destiny killer. Do you think there will ever be a game killer? And at the risk of going on way too long on this question, I mean, it, it's a fair question. It's a great question. It really is. To pull people away from Destiny, it has to be better than Destiny not just better but better enough to pull people away from the communities and friendships and investment that they've already put into the game and that's a huge hurdle yeah. to clear yeah that's the thing yeah I, it needs to be go ahead
1: no i i don't mean to interrupt you i i completely agree i mean there there's I guess you could say there are there are three three elements at play. There are, is the fact that Destiny has PvP and PvE, the fact that it has an amazing uh, story and lore, and the third related to it is what you're saying: the community itself. Um, the the game and the franchise is built around the idea of creating a universe where communities can form, right? Where people can uh-huh. they can make friends and they can they can live in the game and they can be involved with the game. Uh, And that creates, I mean, that creates not just loyalty that that sounds bad, but it creates uh, an immersion and, and a collaborative feeling with the game and the universe. So that even when it's going through the toughest times, the people in the game feel a lot more connected than they, than I think they do with other, uh, with other games, other genres. It's just, um, (laughs) And then there's the other points that you said, like trying to make a game that's even better. Uh, I mean, there are issues with the game for sure. And some of them are, some of them can be very large, but because the game does so much, it's, it's, it's very hard to compete with it. Okay.
0: All right. So we are going to move on to, Oh, I don't know if I mentioned this to you. Like I used Mm -hmm. to have such a system set up. It's okay. Uh, Anyway. Um, this is the final five questions of the show to wrap this up. The final five questions are a series of five questions that range from irrelevant to irreverent. The first two are always the same. The last three have a theme to them. Here we go. So he's not telling me these one. questions
1: chat. So everybody listening in the podcast, we'll see how this goes. If I pass the <laughs> test.
0: Uh, evil laugh. <laughs> um, so first question, coffee or tea?
1: Ooh, uh, neither. Uh, I, I don't drink either. I'm very strange. I, uh, I, I'm very hard to satisfy beverage wise. I don't drink coffee. I don't drink tea and I don't drink alcohol. So honestly, if you're going to offer me something juice or cold water, because apparently, okay, so
0: we're no longer friends, but we can continue this podcast.
1: It's more, it's more for you, right? (laughs) Somebody offers me like, you know, any of those three and then you can have it. But if I had to choose, I would choose tea because at least there are like fruity types of tea. There are like, you know, yeah. green teas, lots of stuff.
0: All right. <laughs> <Freak>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll to a good start. On. Yeah.
0: Question two. We know you play video games. Do you play any tabletop games?
1: I do. Um, well, okay. Does tabletop role-playing game count? Absolutely. Then yes, I do. Uh, I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons uh, for, oof, wow. I wish Are I could. Are we getting say, into decades? Yeah, uh, about fifteen years, I guess. Um, not as okay. much as I would like in those fifteen years, but off and on for for about that long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and,
0: I, and I always mention this to people. The last time I played Dungeons and Dragons was Second Edition when it was Advanced Dungeons and Dragons back oh, in the nice. late nineties yeah so uh and, and it's fun to to talk to some people about the differences because you uh you explain some of the mechanics and they just look at you and like why why would you make it so complicated
1: <laughs> yeah depending on the edition you're in they each kind of have their own approach to it right so uh, some things have been kind of codified and gotten a bit better uh, mm-hmm. uh other uh, uh you could argue that some of the new systems are easier to understand but they may be a bit more limiting but yeah, it's always fun to listen to that. Like, what is what is acceptable in a different edition, you know? when mm, either when oh it, yeah. Either when it was just starting out or, uh, or, or when it just had a system that completely is upside down to the philosophy of a newer edition. What
0: is Thacko, and why is it good that my armor class is a negative four?
1: Yeah, why can a wizard be killed by a house cat, you know? Stuff
0: like this. <laughs> <laughs> All right so on to the themed questions uh since you are a space engineer these will all be within the realm of space don't worry there are no wrong answers unless I arbitrarily decide so <laughs> so first question uh which ship excuse me which ship in destiny has the worst design for space travel
1: oh man there are <sighs> Yeah, let me think.
0: Are there too many to choose from?
1: Uh, I'm trying to think of. So you have it. Yeah. Sorry, it's one of those things where the more you know, the slower your answer because there's like a lot of variables. <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna uh, go out with my gut. I'm gonna go with my yeah. I'm gonna go with my gut answer, which is the the scrap. What is it? Drifter ship. Uh,
0: oh, okay. Is it? Oh, the um,
1: the yeah. derelict. that thing (laughs) the scrap cf 71791 um literally literally called a refurbished ship it's a it's a it's like four different ships smashed together
0: and there it is i I see it on stream right now that's fantastic
1: it's uh yeah i mean when when you're asking your question i was like well you know if you have an aerodynamic ship that's good for landing but you don't need an aerodynamic ship to fly in space You, you can fly a giant brick uh, that's fine. As there's no it...
0: air resistance if there's no air. Yeah,
1: exactly, but the problem with Drifter ship is it doesn't know what it wants to do. It's a chimera. <laughs> it's the platypus of spaceships. Uh, so <laughs> it's got too many features, and none of them are the right features. So yeah, I would I would go with that.
0: Okay. Uh, question number four. What is an experiment that you would love to do in zero gravity?
1: Ooh, good question. Experiment I would love to do in zero gravity. Hmm. Oh. It's been a while since I thought about that. Um. Probably okay. So this is going to be a weird one. Uh, probably excellent. And and it's not <laughs> even it's not even that hard to set up. And it's kind of related to gaming. I would. I think it'd be interesting to test. Um perception and reflexes both in zero gravity and when one of the participants is upside down. And I'll explain what I mean. We have found please, out please. we have found out that uh, astronauts had an issue when dealing with their with their I was gonna say co workers, with their fellow astronauts in space. One of the reasons is because the human brain it you read you can read faces right a lot people some people are really good at this and some people are really bad at this but generally if you look at someone and they frown you understand that mm. they're upset if they if they kind of squint or or they make a face you can kind of read what that means and you can anticipate okay. their mood and and what they may need etc the mind doesn't know how to do that as well if you're upside down so what's happening is is on the space station they're all living they're all working you know, and an astronaut floats by upside down and they're like, hey, can you, you know, hand me that wrench or hand me that thing? And you don't perceive the face as well. And so you are not able to, um, to really anticipate. So what will happen is, is one of your fellow astronauts may be upset. Maybe you ate the last of the the space cheese or something It sounds horrible, but maybe you ate the last of something and they normally they would make a face You would ask them what's wrong. They would tell you, you'd resolve the problem, but you don't notice that. So you don't ask that and you don't, uh, you don't solve it. So, um, probably some kind of weird experiment with like, you know, playing video games upside down or, uh, doing some kind of sports or something, which is, you know, maybe not, doesn't sound that exciting when, I don't know, doing some kind of high tech, uh, whatever. But I think it's kind of, it's always fascinating to me just how, similar but different uh zero gravity can be
0: well that actually i'm thinking back to the beginning of this show where if we're going to be having more and more people go up this is something to consider
1: mm-hmm. it if is. we're gonna
0: send people more and more people up there's going to be a social aspect to it all
1: yeah huh it's uh it's That's something fascinating now that uh now that people are starting, like, you know, government agencies are starting to consider to send people uh, back to the moon or to Mars eventually, they are starting to think about the long term uh, effects. Because right now, everybody who goes into space, almost every, like, 99.9% of people who've been to space, they have been professional astronauts. And when you are a professional mm-hmm. astronaut, not only do you know everything about, you know, the, the physics and the math and the engineering, um, but you are a professional. You you act very professionally. You are trained. Uh-huh. You have these instincts that are that are developed over a long time of training, and that's not going to be the same if you if you go up as a as a tourist or if you go up as a as a scientist. You know, treating it like a kind of a remote working environment. So. People who are looking at uh, developing these kinds of missions are looking at the psychological impact more and more. You sometimes hear news stories about, like, uh, NASA is considering like an all-woman uh, crew to to Mars because there there are benefits of, of having, uh, like, when they do tests, sometimes they they might show that oh, in this in this group, uh, the group that was all women were. I don't know, 34% more efficient and reported they were more happy than this other group that was mixed or this other group that was all male, right? The, the, the research is still in development, but it's a, Mm -hmm. it's an uncharted territory of, uh, the human effects uh, of space travel.
0: Awesome. Wow. that's Fascinating. Thank you for that. (laughs) And the final question. Where do you keep your shrine to Neil deGrasse Tyson?
1: Uh, (laughs) uh, Well, just like the coffee and tea answer, I'm going to have to be a little bit contrarian to you. So (laughs) I have a little bit of a rant. And Neil, if you're listening, I hope that you'll understand. Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, is an excellent symbol um, and a decent spokesperson for Mm -hmm. the space community. But... I think what has happened with poor Neil in the last decade, I think he is, you know, he, a little bit of background context, Chad, if you, if you're not aware, uh, Carl Sagan was an American uh, scientist and spokesperson for science. And he, he became very, he's very popular. He's al- he's almost like, like uh, Stan Lee for, for Marvel <laughs> comics, right? He's kind of the Stan very Lee much of, so. yeah, of space and, and of science um and neil degrasse tyson kind of has tried to follow in his footsteps and i think what has happened is in light of internet culture and maybe he's kind of gotten frustrated with his own main priority his own priority is explaining science to people who don't know about it or maybe haven't cared about it as much and i don't know about you but in the last decade i've seen a growing uh, negativity. Um, maybe maybe sometimes condescension coming from mm-hmm. Neil and you know I, I'm sure that that's what it is. I'm sure it's just fatigue. I mean if you deal with if you deal with Let's trolls all be. the time, you know, and there's a lot of science deniers these days uh, So I've had a hard time with him uh, not that I actually ever deal with him personally, but from what I've seen him post and his and and his being active, I think he he sometimes just runs out of patience, and then that patience manifests publicly. But yeah, uh, uh, yeah.
0: to piggyback off that, my wife and I a couple of years back tried to watch the reboot of uh, Bill Nye.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's like Bill Nye saves the world or something like that, and we watched like the first couple of episodes, and we we're just thinking, Bill's angry, <laughs> like he's he is not a pleasant man right now. Yeah, but uh, we kind of theorized right along what you're talking about he's been to both of these guys have had to deal with internet trolls and science denial for so long. It's just like for the love of anything that is, yes, masks work.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, you know, <laughs> for the last time, even, even if, uh, you know, even if everything was going great, just having to repeat yourself over and over, it gets frustrating. Yeah. And that's not even adding in. Yeah. People not believing them and, current political climate so yeah no I don't have a shrine to Neil deGrasse Tyson but <laughs> in my living okay. room I do have a shrine to uh, a lot mm. of science fiction Star Wars, Fair Star enough. Trek all that kind of stuff um, and to relate it back to what you're saying it's 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 a combination of story and technology What what could be possible based on what we imagine and what we work to make real and I know that sounds a little like Oh, Kaz! Yeah, did you uh, did you get a little whimsical? Yeah, did you uh, did you rehearse that? But no, I mean that's why I'm into it. Uh, it's it's mm-hmm. really cool to see what is what is possible out there.
0: All right, so we are going to wrap this bad boy up. Uh, time for end of show plugs. So once again, I am Anthony. Find me pretty much everywhere at Hypersyntax, which is H-Y-P-3-R-S-I-N-T-4-X. I Uh, I am on Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation is where I'm doing most of my gaming right now. My YouTube channel is growing, and that is youtube.com slash C -c 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 slash Video Game Crosstalk. And I've also been doing some additional work with the Destiny Lore audio file. Podcast, which is destiny lore set to well it was audiobook format now it's becoming more of an audio drama and also been working with the crew over at game insider magazine i've been narrating some video game preview and review videos for them so go check that out as well and kaz where can our lovely listeners follow you around (laughs)
1: uh yeah, so on Twitch and Twitter, uh, it's Kaz underscore PhD, K A Z or Z underscore P-H-D. Uh, YouTube is Embrace Destiny. So, you know, youtube.com slash C slash Embrace Destiny. Two words. Um, and yeah, I just, I'm mostly on YouTube. I focus on lore and exploring this story mostly of Destiny. And in the other places, I'm sometimes lore sometimes what's real sometimes science sometimes just hanging out so um yeah if you want to come and find me if you have any questions i I always work to try and make myself and my community as as open as possible to new ideas new questions people who are lost who need help or uh yeah people who have differing opinions it's always good to you know to to chat with them and, and try to come up with something new
0: all right and as soon as crossplay officially becomes available, I'm definitely hunting you down so I can finish off my Wishender Bow uh, <laughs> mission. I'll <laughs> Need be to here. get that done. Yeah. All right. Thank you everyone for joining us. Please, if you are new to the show, and I see a few people in chat, hey chat, what's going on? Uh, please give me a a follow. I'm on Podbean, but can be followed on every podcatcher that you use. Leave a review on iTunes. That helps me out oh so much. And share this podcast amongst all your friends. And in closing, oh, darn it, I left my inspirational quote of the day in the other office. Dang (laughs) gummit. Until next time, I'll see you in the tower. Gonna have to hold one more time this is this is hysterical i actually don't know it's been so long since i've recorded a podcast i'm not sure what episode i'm on anymore
1: (laughs) just call it the next episode
0: yeah right